What is design thinking? More importantly, how does it fit into compliance? Join two fans of design thinking for the compliance profession, Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist, and Karsten Tams, ethical business architect and founder of Emigence LLC, as they explore how the compliance profession can use design thinking to more fully operationalize a compliance program. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to the latest edition of the Compliance Podcast Network, Design Thinking and Compliance. In this episode, Karsten Tams and myself take a deep dive into co-creation, following up from our most recent episode. I know you will enjoy it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, backing in with Karsten Tams for our continued exploration of design thinking and compliance. In today's episode, we are going to take up the design thinking framework and take a deep dive into co-creation. So, Karsten, first of all, welcome back. Good to be with you, Tom. So, Karsten, I was wondering if you might uh, start with what are the three types of design and how do they work into the design thinking framework? All right, I, I'll give it a go, and then hopefully you will tell me uh, if I if I did this well. Um, yeah, so co-creation is is, uh, uh, is is the second key principle as I see it in, in in design thinking. Last last in the last session we discussed human-centered design as 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 the other core principle. Co-creation is the second uh, critical principle at the heart of of, of design thinking. And it, simply put, it refers uh, to any process that brings together multiple parties that jointly produce an outcome that they value and desire. And uh, co-creation um, in, in the business world has really been one of the most transformative ideas of the past 20 years and um, has, has really revolutionized the way some established companies do business. Uh, think of, of, of Nike. Nike or Lego or DeWalt, um, but has also brought um, or created an entirely new companies that have disrupt, disrupted their their uh, their industries. Think of, for instance, uh, Airbnb uh, or Wikipedia. Um, uh, so um, you asked me about the um, about three different types, and I described these in an in an article I published on on co-creation on on LinkedIn. The first one is co-design, the second one is open design, the third one is what I call platform design, uh, and um, let me give a quick example for each of those. So uh, let's start with co-design. Um, one example, and applying it right away to ethics and compliance, is a company that uh, develops a code of conduct, and it's not done by uh, just exclusively by the compliance department or you know, some, some governance risk compliance functions, including legal and the HR and what have you, uh, but you actually include the user in the process of developing the code. And there are some companies who have done that. Uh, I know, of, of, for instance, of Novartis or, or Teneco, who have, uh, who have made um, uh, extraordinary efforts at, 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 at involving uh, users, uh, meaning employees, in the design process of a code. Um, so the key question that co-design see, uh, seeks to answer is how can we bring employees into the process of designing our ethics and compliance 
programs. And there are obvious benefits to that. Uh, number one, when people who participate in the design of a solution, they also tend to better understand it. And there's also some interesting research uh, on the so-called um, IKEA effect that shows that when people had a part in, um, in building something, they value it, it more and they also are likely to support it better. Uh, and there is also very interesting research on, on um, procedural, uh, procedural uh, fairness that also shows that uh, people uh, tend to accept and value an outcome more uh, when they had an opportunity to participate uh, in, in, in the production of that outcome. So that would be the first example. Uh, well, what do you think about co-design? Did I, did I describe that sufficiently? Or do you have anything to add, Tom? No, I, I really uh, I think that was a, a great way uh, to describe it and that it really, I guess the thing that, that strikes me the most is it's, it's really a, it's not an us versus them. It's not even Tom and Karsten coming in to a team or a group of business specialists uh, to working with them. It's, it's sort of all of us together. And that kind of, uh, I guess, I don't want to say philosophical approach, but that when you start with that, Karsten, it really opens up not only a lot of possibilities, but I think you really get a greater engagement and greater buy-in because um, it's just us. It's, uh, we have a, a phrase in the energy industry, um, because companies tend to be associated with a color, so Halliburton's big red, Schlumberger's big blue, uh, you know, we all wear one red shirt, or we all wear one blue shirt, and that uh, at the end of the day, and when we can all just be identified by the blue shirt or the red shirt, uh, not in a Star Trek uh, TOS kind of way, because we all know what happens to red shirts there, um, it really, uh, I think, lends itself to uh, a much greater engagement. So um, as our podcast series goes forward, I, I'm really seeing a much richer and fuller uh, description and discussion of how the engagement in design thinking is literally burned into the process almost at the DNA level. Everything we do is engagement in one form or another and whether it's a give whether it's a take whether it's a speak whether it's a listen whether it's a write on the sticky note uh, and or read the sticky note it's really all about this engagement so that's what really strikes me about um, kind of your opening remarks but what do we have next yeah and maybe just to to add a little bit you know when I listen to you it stimulates more ideas and thoughts so um, uh, I think um, Another, another. So, I mean, this goes also back to what we discussed in the last session about human-centered design. This idea that uh, that people are value, they they have capabilities, and these capabilities are valuable. Uh, so, when you design a code, for instance, um, uh, you know it's quite possible that that employees have have understanding of risks and knowledge about about things going on in the company that that is valuable and that can inform the design of a code that really speaks to the realities in, in the organization. And as you say, you know, um, I mean, I think the, the, this, this what we call the, the not invented here syndrome is, is real, right? And when you co-design, 
you overcome that problem and you end up with something that where potentially people can say, we did that, right? This is ours. Um, and, and so these are, these, are, these are additional benefits. But with that, let me move on to the second, uh, second out of our three forms of co-creation, and that, that would be open design. And uh, I'm sure many of the listeners have heard of open, uh, open source software. That is an example of open design. Uh, Wikipedia is also an example of open design. So um, open design really asks the question, how can we design um, ENC programs that are responsive to employees' input throughout their life cycle? Um, so um, let me try to come up with an example. Uh, let's say you have an uh, online code of conduct, to stick with that. Um, and usually, you know, you go, to, you, you go online, you look at the code of conduct, often it's a PDF document, maybe it's an HTML-based uh, based format. Uh, now imagine you add a, a button that says, you know, uh, please make suggestions for improvements, all right? And the employee who reads on maybe uh, inclusion, equity and inclusion, diversity, says, you know what, I think this could be worded better or some, a section could be added. You know, the, the society constantly moves on, the, the, the values shift uh, of, of our employees. So, so this would be an, a way to um, open up the, 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 the code of conduct to continuous input and feedback from, from employees. And of course, you know, so it would require that somebody looks at that, curates the, the suggestions and says, yes, this we can implement, maybe this needs to be, uh, needs to be refined, adopted, edited a little bit. Um, but now, uh, now you, have, uh, you have opened your code of conduct for you know, what we call user-generated content. So that's an example of open design. And the uh, open design, uh, I really like your analogy to open source software because that's, as you said, something that many people are uh, comfortable with. It, it also strikes me as, Carson, is, is you're opening yourself up to the possibility of not simply new ideas, but an entirely different source, almost an open, open ethics Wikipedia, if you go that direction. I know you've, you've spoke on before. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I think it's, um, the technologies are there. Um, it's not that uh, we relinquish control over the code of conduct if we open it up for continuous input from employees. It is, we are still going to be, you know, the, the person in the ethics compliance department is still going to be the, uh, the editor-in-chief, if you will. Um, so, but, but you open yourself up, you know, for constant inflow for ideas. It's a, you create tool systems that are adaptive, that can learn. Um, and I think that's what we want, you know, throughout business, but also in, in the ethics and compliance field. So um, if we approach things too top down, you know, we become very rigid. And, and this kind of uh, this capability of, of learning and harnessing the, the uh, cumulative intelligence of all the people we have in our organization, that, that, that is lost, really. Carson, the um, third type of co-creation is platform mm -hmm. design. Could you tell us a little bit about that form? Sure, and uh, yeah, again, to start with the, with the com with an example, a classic example of a platform company would be Airbnb. Um, so what, what, what makes that a platform company? Um, so Airbnb completely disrupted the business of hospitality. Um, it's, it's not done in, by Airbnb the way it was done 
previously by many of the famous hotel chains that we all know. Um, and does Airbnb, you know, provide any of the essential uh, services, products that are part of, of hospitality? Well, do they, uh, do they, you know, provide the real estate? Do they, uh, do they get the loan for the real estate? Uh, do they um, design the rooms? Do they provide concierge services? Do they change the sheets, etc.? No, they don't do any of this. Um, the service, um, the hospitality service, is really provided uh, by someone like you and me. Um, and um, so all that Airbnb does is create a platform where providers and, and seekers or people who demand hospitality services can meet. And so it, uh, the fascinating part of platforms is that they often allow us to tap into, um, into um, capabilities, into resources that were previously untapped. Uh, um, so, you know, everybody was sitting on, on, on an extra room on, uh, in their apartment or in their house. You know, that wasn't used, but now it can be. And we can apply platform thinking in a similar way to the, to the field of ethics and compliance. Uh, as I said previously, you know, uh, we know that people, many people have a capacity to, for moral agency, you know, to help uh, and act, maintain, defend the ethical values of the organization. Um, and uh, how can we create platforms that empower, enable people to more actively play that role? To to uh, and there are there are some interesting. Now this might be the most out there idea that I've discussed so far of the three, but there are actually some really brilliant ideas already out there that where company are. Companies are applying this 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 platform model to ethics and compliance. So, and, part, uh, I, I could I, go ahead. Yeah. So, I was wondering if you might pivot to the back to co-creation and really tell us about what you see as the benefits of co-creation. Hmm. Um, yeah. So. Um, uh, to to summarize, I would say uh, number one. Um, uh, first of all, I always start with the assumption that um, the, the, there's, there's a lot of value capability embedded within the community or the, the, you know, the, the, the aggregate of, of employees. People have their situated knowledge, experience uh, that is incredibly helpful in understanding what the risks of the organizations are and how they, those risks could possibly be uh, mitigated. Um, and by bringing uh, users, employees into the, the process of, um, of designing ethics and compliance programs, uh, you know, we, we can ensure that the solutions we design are much better tailored to the specific uh, situation, specific risks of the, the organization. Um, so this speaks to the quality of our ethics and compliance program that improves if we pursue co-creative strategy. But secondly, um, as we have discussed, by engaging people, uh, we also um, generate this, this positive engagement. People tend to uh, value more and, um, and support programs that they've helped to build. Um, and I would, I would uh, highlight a third value. Uh, you know, I think one thing that, that uh, some of us might grapple with is, is building relationships with people, relationships of trust 
throughout the organization. And each time we co-create, each time we have a touch point with employees and we invite them to participate, it is an op incredible opportunity to build that relationship of trust. And this trust capital is really indispensable, I think, for us to be effective. Uh, because when, when people have ethics issues, uh, they need advice, they need guidance, or they need to report something, and they lack that, that fundamental trust, chances are they won't come to us, um, and we won't know what's going on. So these are maybe three uh, uh, benefits I would highlight. So, Karsten, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if you had any tips or resources uh, that you come across that you feel might be of uh, assistance to our uh, audience uh, who might want to do further research or further investigate this. And if anyone wanted to um, follow up directly with you on any of the topics uh, that we have discussed in this podcast, how could they do so? Mm -hmm. Okay, let me start with the, the reading tips again. Um, and I want to highlight a piece that you wrote, Tom, called Design Thinking Compliance. Uh, published on jdsupra.com, and um, it, it was, for me, a critical uh, article because I believe it was the first that I ever saw that, uh, saw that, that discussed design thinking um, as applied to compliance. Um, so, um, and secondly, um, specifically, specifically to co-creation, I published a piece called The Co-Creation Imperative. If if you build it with them, they will engage. Uh, that was published in July on LinkedIn. Um, I think Mary Gentile's book, uh, Giving Voice to Values, also is very much in the spirit of, of uh, co-creative ethics in organizations, and that is an incredibly uh, valuable book to read. Uh, and uh, yeah, I would invite everybody to reach out to me. I think the easiest way of doing so is on LinkedIn. Um, please connect, um, and um, if you would like to discuss anything we've, we've, we've touched on here, I'd be happy to hear from you. Karsten, I'd also like to make an offer to our listeners. If anyone has any specific questions that they'd like us to try and take up, please send them to Karsten or myself. We're both active on LinkedIn, and you can re reach us through those uh, profiles, but we'd love to engage with you. We are uh, going to continue this series and see where we can take it. So if there's ideas or questions you have, please let us know. Karsten, I look forward to our uh, next episode. Me too, Tom. This is Tom Fox. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Design Thinking and Compliance. Carson and I have put together a package of resources for you if you'd like additional information on design thinking. They're all listed in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions, please contact Carson or myself directly. Once again, our contact information is in the show notes. If you'd like something a little bit different, check out Effing Argentina, where with my co-host Greg Greenberg, we take up 11 tales of exasperation in modern American life. It's a little bit different, but it's a whole lot of fun. Also on the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to visiting with you again.